we're so glad that you've joined us for this next series, Christmas Begins. You know, this time of year is full of hustle and bustle, excitement and hype, and yet at the same time, behind closed doors, people are experiencing tension in their relationships, financial difficulties, and thus the pressure of trying to meet unrealistic expectancies. Well, in this series, we wanna take a look at how we can find joy, how we can be a light in the world, how we can know what it is to have peace in everyday stressful situations. We believe that when our hearts and our mindsets are stable on the inside, that it relieves pressure on the outside. And so we want to say thank you. Thank you for taking time to listen and investing into you. I believe that this message will inspire you and help you to feel like Christmas has truly begun. Christmas for a lot of people, right, is a great time of year, but for many others, it's just simply not. And um, you've got to ask the question sometimes, like, why, why do we base our entire faith life around a guy that was simply a Jewish carpenter that lived 2,000 years ago. And you've got to kind of say like, how is that even still relevant for us today? Because some of you have been to church before, and that's the very reason why you don't come back, because you're like, nah, I've seen it, been there, I've done it, I've heard it, it's not for me. Others, maybe you've never been to church, but you still are very vaguely aware of the Christmas story, and you're like, well, what good and what sense does that mean to me today? Like, what good can come from that story? Like, how does that affect my life? What good can come from it? And yet what we've got to need to know is this, is that you don't need faith in Jesus at all to see the impact that Jesus' life has had on the planet. None. You, you absolutely need faith in Jesus to follow him. You need faith in him to... I guess, be a Christian, but in order to see his hands move around the planet, you don't need any faith for that at all. None. Zero. All you need to do is just open up your eyes. And in fact, there is a book that I've read, and it's called Who Is This Man? by an author called John Orterberg. In fact, here's a, a picture of the book, and you can screenshot that and get it on Amazon or take a read over Christmas and It'll maybe depict to you in a greater way than I'm able to talk to you about in the short time that we've got together. But I guess it'll just give you greater context to everything that we're going to speak about because you really don't need any faith at all to see the impact and influence that Jesus has had in the world. In fact, let me read you this from the scriptures, John 19. It says that Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be the king of the Jews. So here we are, we're talking about the crucifixion where God has given of his one and only son, Jesus, and he's now hanging on the cross. And they've just pointed out that there is a sign above Jesus. And then let's read what happens in verse 28. It says, Later, knowing that everything has now been finished, and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. 
A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he'd received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now, you've got to understand that it was customary for any criminal who was being crucified on a cross to have their name plaque written above them. But I just want you to think for a moment before we pray together. I just want you to think what's actually happening here. In every one of our eyes, this would ordinarily have been the most unsuccessful ministry on the planet. It's the most unsuccessful moment you would think that God had ever created. Because here is Jesus, his one and only son. He's dying on a cross and he's now been given a name, a title. But it wasn't a title in any kind of complimentary way. It was a title that really was designed to almost be offensive. To take the mickey. Be careful how we say that, right? There he is, king of the Jews. Well, the bottom line is he doesn't look like a great king to me. If he's hanging, dying, fighting for his last breath on a cross, that doesn't sound like a very successful kingdom. That doesn't sound like a very successful moment. And yet here we are with a sign above a crucified Jesus that says Jesus is king. Let's pray for a minute. Heavenly Father, it's really hard for us to see how, through the sequence of all of these historic events, that you came to be the king that we now follow today. Lord, I pray that on this day that you would help us to see you for who you really are. Lord, I pray that on this day that you would maybe open up our eyes anew. Lord, I pray for the people that are in this auditorium this morning that have never been to church before. I pray that they would see you today. Lord, I pray for those that maybe have been to church and that's the reason why they no longer come to church. But God, they're here today. I pray that their eyes and their hearts and their ears would be open to see who you really are today. The man, the splendor, the wonder, the glory of you as our risen King, Jesus Christ. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Well, you know... Before I did this, I was in the police, and I was in the police for a number of years, and what's super interesting, and I think it's pretty cool actually, is the way in which that when you go through police training, you are, you get to, you, you're able to experience a bunch of stuff that you, ordinarily you would never have the opportunity to experience. When you're training in the police, one of the things that they are really mindful of doing is that they'll never allow you to do to somebody else something which you've never experienced yourself. So when it comes to like placing handcuffs on people, you have to play around for weeks and weeks and weeks getting handcuffs placed on yourself. When it comes to maybe not so much a baton strike, but you get used to that hand-to-hand -hand physical combat all of the time. And you go on this like weeks and weeks and weeks, months-long training courses that are designed to allow you to experience pretty much everything that you are being taught to at some point you're going to have to actually put on to somebody else. And one of those things is, um, so it's called CS spray. Now, today it's called PARVA, but it used to be called CS spray. And CS is actually, it's technically a firearm and it's an incapacitant. In other words, when you spray that and it lands anywhere around your face or your eyes, it is unbelievably painful and you can do nothing other than like curl up in a ball and cry like a baby. It is 
so unbelievably painful. And they changed it actually from CS to Parva because CS came out of the canister in this form that was more like a plume of smoke. And if you were ever trying to spray it in somebody's eyes who was maybe resisting arrest, then what would ordinarily happen is that you would affect everybody that was within close proximity to wherever you were. In fact, if you were the one doing the spraying, you would also be badly affected by it because it came out in such a plume of smoke. Whereas with Parva, it would come out in a really directional manner and it was quite precise with regards to who it would actually impact. Now... Before you're licensed to be able to use this firearm, this incapacitant spray, you would have to go and spend weeks on training courses. Now, we used to travel to these old derelict Ministry of Defence sites and there was this trainer who was our trainer, this hard-as-nails Scottish guy. And how this would work is that he would like line everybody up in the class, and there was about 14 of us, and after a days long hard work training, they would line you up and they would tell you that you're about to be sprayed with CS spray. And what would happen is, is that he would line you all up and he would just walk in a line directly in front of you spraying the entire canister and then he would ask you to step into the plume of CS. Now, when this was happening, I was the very last person in the line. So when he walked along and he was spraying this canister, by the time he got to me, I could already hear that there were people at the beginning of the line that they were starting to react really badly to it. But by the time he got in front of me and I stood into it, it didn't feel like it was a big deal at first. And I made the really foolish decision to laugh at the way that everybody else was responding further down the line, to which this angry Scottish instructor did not seem too happy at all, and then opened a second can and just sprayed it directly in my face. Now, honestly, within about two seconds, I was like on the floor crying, screaming for my mum. It was just embarrassing. I mean, it is like the most painful thing I've ever experienced in my life. I mean, you're physically, you're trying to like gouge your eyes out of your eyeballs. It's out of the socket because it is so painful. And you're like, you're crying and there is snot everywhere. I mean, it's like coming out of your mouth and all sorts. It is just not a very dignified thing that's happening. And what's most frustrating is that there's nothing really you can do. It's like if you try to wash it out, the thing reacts with water, so it makes the pain 10 times worse. And it covers all of your skin, your hair, for those of you who are fortunate enough to have some. It clicks in your clothes, it like gets in your fingers, and it's just sort of like it's excruciatingly painful. I was screaming, never felt pain like it at all. The only thing that you can do is you have to physically force your eyes to open and you have to stare into whatever wind is coming in your direction. It's the only thing you can do. Let the wind get into your eyes. And after about 15 to 20 minutes, the effects eventually start to wane off. They eventually start to subside a little bit. And then what happens is, you know, you can still feel it tingling on your skin and it's kind of horrible and you all get loaded into this coach and you're like, because you're looking like an absolute wreck, you look like you've been on like a five-day bender, honestly, it's just carnage. You get loaded into this coach and you get taken back to headquarters where you basically get sent to your room for the night, which you would think would be the end of the misery until I, foolishly, without giving it any thought or consideration, 
got straight back and thought, I've just got to get this stuff off me because it's like it's still burning my skin. I can still feel it. I can taste it. It's like everywhere. I went straight into the shower and this thing reacts with water and it gets everywhere. And I'm not going to take this any more descriptive, but I'm just saying, right, if you've ever seen, right, me cry like a baby, you've seen nothing than me see, like literally climbing out of the shower block on the floor. And people are like, is he dying there? Like, what is going along? Just this naked cop trying to crawl back to his room because he's like, you know, someone save me. Jesus, take the wheel. I'm convinced it was about two full days before the real true effects of this CS spray started to wane off. But what's true about the effects of CS spray is pretty much the same truth that exists for every single one of us. And that is, over time, everything fades. Over time, everything wanes. Over time, everything eventually diminishes. Think about it. Think about every human being that's ever lived right now. You can talk about politicians, you can talk about leaders, you can talk about celebrities, you could talk about sports personalities. It's true for every single one of us that after their death, their influence dies. I mean, just try and think of the name of your great-grandma right now. Like some of you will probably be able to go, yeah, I know her name. Well, what about your great-great-grandma? Can anybody name her name? Think for a moment about how, whether you like him or not, you know, presumably in this area people don't, but Boris Johnson is currently the 77th Prime Minister of the United Kingdom. But who was the 73rd? You see, influence, it just wanes. Right now, I believe that Liverpool are the greatest football club in the world, proven by last night. However, maybe we'll go on to win the Premier League this year, perhaps, maybe, I don't know. But who won the league 15 years ago? You see, influence wanes, it fades. It's the natural human trajectory over time. And it's no one's fault. It's just how it is. And nobody really would have known this. But at the time that Jesus was hanging from a cross with a nameplate saying King of the Jews, not one person would have been expecting his influence to in fact grow and increase what they would have naturally have been expecting on this terrible and horrible moment would have been from this point on for his influence and his impact to decrease and wane and diminish over time. Why wouldn't it have been any different? He was a seemingly insignificant boy who was the son of a carpenter, born in a stable, maybe even a cave in a food manger. And then, you know, when you think about like, he was brought into the world by a virgin. I mean, like, that's a whole nother story right there. I mean, I would have loved to have seen how that one played out. It's like, hey, yo, mom, by the way, I'm pregnant. And they're like, what? And they're like, oh, yeah, but it's okay. It's cool. I'm a virgin. I just wonder, like, has anybody actually tried that, you know, recently? I would love to see how that works out at home. You know, it's like, it's all right, mom, I'm a virgin, but I'm carrying a baby. It's like, oh, really? Yeah, well... Why don't you leave the house right now? You can just see the way that this is not going to work out particularly well. And yet, when we see Jesus with his last breath on the cross, with the sign above his name, you would think that at that point, that's his influence gone and just diminishing. Never 
Did he force anybody to follow him? He had no army, had no statues made of himself, didn't force anybody, didn't have a, a movement to defend. So why was it then that when he took his last breath, it was not the last of his influence or his impact around the world today? Because when you actually look at what's happened since then, what you can see is this. 50 years after his birth, these early ecclesias, they were the churches. These communities of people that were following Jesus started to gather and come together and they started to grow and increase in number. 100 years after the death of Christ, we see that all of the scriptural manuscripts, what we now know as the Bible, and we think that the Bible is like one book. It's not a book at all. It's a collection of ancient manuscripts that have been compiled by people over time who've given clear eyewitness accounts to what's actually happening. And we see the church start to grow all the more. A thousand years on, what we find is this message is now influencing the entire continent of Europe. 2,000 years on, we see that there are now 2.4 billion people on the planet that have been awakened to God's love through the story of him sending and giving his one and only son, Jesus Christ. That doesn't happen by accident. That, for me, that can only be a supernatural thing. Why? Because the natural trajectory that we're all on is that our influence and our impact decreases over time. It shouldn't increase. But let's just go and have a very, very quick and short history lesson for a moment. Now, Caesar was the emperor at the time that Jesus was born. King Herod was the king of Judea. In fact, King Herod was mean. He was nasty. He was cruel. He was harsh. One of the fiercest rulers to have ever been over the entire kingdom of Judea. In fact, Herod was so bad that he knew that on the day that he would die, absolutely nobody would have been mourning for the loss of him in the community. He knew that because he'd mistreated everybody. So what he did was he created a law that said that on the day that he was going to die, that the authorities were to capture and kill a bunch of Jewish community leaders and other political figures all around the city, just so that he would know that there would be some kind of mourning on the day that he would die. At least it would be for them, if not for him. Now, Herod was intentional about making sure his influence would remain. He tried to do everything he possibly could to try and keep his name in lights. And yet when you think about Jesus, he's just a kid, right, born in an animal feeding trough, probably in a cave, a fugitive on the run, and yet 30 a fugitive on the run, and yet 32 years later died with less dignity than he was born, and yet unlike Herod, there was nothing about Jesus that you would look upon him and make you think, man, he was a great king. Herod had money and influence and power and wealth and palaces and cities, and Jesus didn't have any of that. And yet, what do you know today about King Herod? Nothing. Unless you go and read a history book, go online, maybe dig something out of the library, you know nothing about King Herod. And yet, when it comes to Jesus, Everywhere you look, it's like a comet's tail that's sweeping through ti the timeline of history. We can see his impact and influence. There were other emperors and other rulers, though, too. We could talk about Alexander. 
He had a city named after him because he was adamant that people ought to remember who he was, called Alexandria. We talk about Caesar. Well, he had a city that he named after himself too. That was called Caesarea. What do we know about them now? Maybe Caesar makes a good salad. Maybe he's got a gambling joint in Las Vegas, perhaps. But we don't know anywhere near as much about Caesar and Alexander as we do about Jesus. And yet Jesus didn't have a city named after him anywhere. You know, it's not just in terms of cities, though, where we can see the reach that Jesus has had across our nation, across our globe. Just think about calendars for a moment. Almost all, almost all of the entire world follows a calendar that was set in place based around the birth of Christ, BC. King Herod, I find this fascinating, King Herod was born in 73 BC. So even King Herod, who tried to ensure that everybody would remember who he was, was given a birth date assigned against a king that ended up dying on a cross whose influence and impact should never have outlived his death. And a fugitive baby has set the birth dates and the death dates of every single person on the planet before and since. Every political leader, every prime minister, every king, every queen, every president. Anno Domini, it means the year of our Lord. So your birthday, my birthday, everything according to our time is all set against the calendar that is rooted in the birth of our fugitive king. You see, there have been many, many great people, but none of them have split time. None. And this doesn't take faith to believe. I'm not here trying to tell you you need faith to see this. You just need to be observant to what's actually happening around the world. We could talk about art. What's fascinating to me is that in the scriptures, there's pretty much nowhere that gives any kind of description about what Jesus looked like or the disciples looked like. And yet they are some of the most depicted people in the art world around the world today. In fact, even symbols of the cross and the crucifixion you can find are the most commonly depicted item on tattoos and jewellery. In other words, this Jesus movement, this Jesus king, this baby king who had a name written above him on his death on the cross now affects not only time, but it's completely affected our entire art world too. We could talk about education, right? Well, Jesus said that we should love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind. Which is why there was a community of followers of Jesus that were intentional to try and outwork this in their life today. As they're following Jesus, they're trying to figure this out. So you know what they did? They started some of the finest educational institutions in the world that we know today, including Oxford, Cambridge, Yale, and Harvard. These were Christian people who started our educational system. In other words, our entire education system is built on Jesus. And this is not supposed to happen because your impact is supposed to wane. But what we see with Jesus is that it's massively increased. Let's talk about government for a moment. Because we say in our Western culture here in the UK that we are, we're all equal. We're all created to be equal. But the bottom line is this, it's not always been that way at all. In fact, it was completely contrary to that. 
In the ancient world, you were not equal at all. You weren't equal anywhere. It was all about a system. It was about a hierarchy. It was about a ladder. And if you were not at the top of the ladder, you would never get to the top of the ladder. The system was designed to keep you low if you were of a lowly position. It was not designed and created to ensure of equality the way that we see it now today. So sometimes you've got to say, well, why is it the way that we are now? Why is it that way? Well, it's because Jesus spoke into this. Where did we get this from? We got it from Jesus because he flipped the whole thing upside down. Was it not Jesus that said, actually, let him that thinks he's first is actually going to be last and him that's last is going to be first? Did he not turn and change and flip our entire way of governmental thinking today? We could talk about the ancient world. This is fascinating. Do you know in the ancient world, whenever a, a, a couple would have a baby, they would wait eight days. They would wait eight days to see two clear things. Firstly, they would want to know, is the baby disabled? Like, has he got some sort of physical and health thing going wrong with him or her? And if he did, on the eighth day, they would just simply leave the baby by the roadside to die because they didn't want to be bringing disabled children into our world. And not only were they looking out for disabilities and health issues, but if the child was not of the most desirable sex, then they would also simply discard the baby. They would discard the child. That's exactly what they would do. And that was normal to them. That was normal until there was a bunch of Christ-following people who remembered the words of Jesus, who didn't he say something about actually we should take care of widows and orphans, who then decided to create orphanages to take care of the ones that are being forgotten unlost and not considered and left out to die you see the fingerprint of God working today exists in our systems throughout the world even today in every nook and cranny if we can only just look intensely and see them our orphanages came about as a result of Christian people what about our hospitals you know, it was only when Jesus spoke the words, healed the sick, that there were a bunch of people who started humanitarian aid organisations, our healthcare systems, our hospitals, Compassion International, the Red Cross. These were all institutes that were formed off the back of the kid of a Jewish carpenter, born in a trough in a cave this doesn't make any sense at all because what should naturally have happened should have been that the trajectory of his influence would wane and wear off and diminish over time but what we've seen is exactly the opposite so now as we fast forward 2000 years we see the footprint the fingerprint of heaven all around our society today now you may not know of Herod the Great but you've all heard of Jesus the one and only son of the one and only God so I guess that the question still exists well why should I follow him now because you don't need faith to see Jesus's impact or his influence but you do need faith to believe that Jesus actually loves you and knows you and has called you his own now that takes faith so why should you follow him today why should you be willing to open up your mind and your way of thinking and your heart to just be open to okay so what if God really is real 
Well, I think this. Dead good guys don't influence a lot of people. Dead good guys don't show up two millennia later. Billions of people do not show up in churches all around the world to follow dead good guys, but they would do for the King of Kings and they would do for the Lord of Lords. But not a dead good guy. Right now, check this. In communist China, where it is against the law to follow Christ, there is a growing, vibrant church that reaches in excess of 100 million Chinese people week in, week out. In the Middle East, where we're taught that Christianity is not growing, it is growing like wildfire. Why? Because people are understanding and finding out for themselves who Jesus really is in Africa. Check this. In 1990, there were 8.7 million people that followed Christ. Just three years ago, there were 390 million people following Christ. In six years' time, in the future, it is now estimated that the church in Africa will exist in excess of 600 million people following Jesus in spite of all of their struggles and their difficulties and their pain and their hardship. I just want you to think about Peter for a moment, right? Because Peter was crucified and killed and hung upside down on a cross. Now, if you're going to die for what you believe in, I mean, I mean, what is it that you believe in that much that you're willing to give your life for, let alone be killed and hung on a cross upside down? I mean, he must have really have believed in this thing. We could talk about Paul. He was an apostle found in the New Testament and he had the top job. He had like the best job. He was one of the educated Jewish scholars that was actually tasked with closing down the church. So he would go in and bust into all of these church houses and he'd arrest and round up all of the Christians. He would stone them to death. He would persecute them. And even he found the influence and the impact of Jesus to be too significant for him that he then became the biggest follower of Christ. And he is the reason why we even have a church here today. We could talk about Kanye West, Justin Bieber. They all have the good life and yet they seem to now all be walking away from it to follow the influence and the impact that Jesus is having even today all around the world. What about James, <laughs> the brother of Jesus? I mean, seriously, right? I've got two brothers and I love them. They're amazing. But the bottom line is this. If one of them comes and tells me they're the son of God, I'm like, no, I don't believe you. Like there is nothing that they could ever do or say to me that's going to make me convinced that one of those is the one and only Son of God. And yet James, the brother of Jesus, one of the early church disciples, was a follower of Jesus. Like, guys, what would it take for you to believe that your brother was, was the one and only Son of God? I mean, you just got to go, this influence and this impact, it's just not diminished at all. It's just kept on growing and moving and getting bigger and bigger. So... It doesn't take any faith at all to see the influence and the impact that Jesus has had on the world. But it does take faith to believe that Jesus is real and it takes a huge amount of faith to think that like, not only is he real, but he's interested in the small intricacies of your life. And not only is he interested, but he calls you as part of his family and we write ourselves off 
all of the time from that because we know who we are and we know exactly who we're not. And we go, there's no way that a God in heaven would be willing to give his one and only son for somebody like me because this just doesn't make sense. Does he know me? Does he know what I've done? Does he know what I, where I go in my own thought life? Does he know what my habitual patterns are? Does he, is he aware of who I really am? And there are so many reasons. That's why it takes faith. It doesn't take faith to see his movement and his influence and his impact today, no. But to actually believe that there's a God out there that loves you and cares for you and calls you as a son and daughter of his own, now that takes faith. The idea that he would want to know you in a real and authentic way, that takes faith. The idea that he would want to have you included in heaven, that takes faith. So I think that No matter where Christmas finds us all this year, we can all see that there is an influence that Jesus has had on the world. But my direct question to you today is how does Jesus influence you? What is your response to Jesus? Hey, thanks so much for watching that message. I hope you feel encouraged. I hope you feel inspired. Please check us out on all of our social and media platforms on Instagram and on Facebook at Liverpool One Church. And also keep your eyes on our YouTube channel for more upcoming messages and events.